You know, the interesting thing about our podcast here is that instead of listening to it on the weekend in order to unwind and get their mind off of work, most people who tune into our podcast are doing so on their way to work because it explicitly has to do with what they're doing, with their industry, their business, the objectives that they're seeking out. And there's very few applications of machine learning and AI in industry that are as ubiquitous, as applicable to as many industries, as many listeners, readers as possible for us here as info security. Maybe analytics and marketing and advertising kind of get right up there in terms of how many businesses of how many varieties can use it, but security is certainly high on the list of applications of artificial intelligence today that seem to have a clear advantage over their competitors of sort of lesser technical bent. Safe to say that there's a lot of experimental work in healthcare, even in marketing, maybe to some degree, you know, in inventory management and other sort of predictive analytics applications. But security, there's so much money going into this space, so many companies working on this space. It makes for quite an interesting mix and a topic that I think a lot of businesses can learn from. Today, we're lucky enough to have Kevin Lee from SIF Science. Kevin worked on security and fraud at Google and at Facebook before coming over to SIF Science. SIF Science works specifically on fraud. And in this particular episode, we knuckled down to uh, getting an understanding from Kevin in seeing the developments of info security over the last over a decade. I think he started working with Google in 2005 or something like that. Uh, and over a decade, how has the info security landscape shifted and what new kinds of fraud are now possible? So what are additional concerns for technical companies or businesses in terms of their own security needs? He talks about marketplaces and platforms. He talks about different ways that user accounts are being hacked, things that are vastly different from the old school, you know, 15 years ago, somebody would upload a bunch of credit cards that they scraped into the dark net. People could just kind of download it. There's a lot of other ways that businesses can be tampered with and a lot of other means to back into that with us as businesses and people putting more and more of our data onto the internet. It sort of creates a more complex rat's nest that sort of requires artificial intelligence. Kevin shines an interesting light on different areas that businesses might want to be wary of. Um, and probably a lot of technical concerns that people building technology products will want to bear in mind as they're fleshing out a product. What are the facets that Kevin's touching on that really will likely be security concerns sooner or later with what you're working on? Or what are the elements of your business today, the elements of you know the work of your salespeople or your office folks that could be susceptible to some of the schemes and strategies that Kevin talks about here? Again, this is a guy with a lot, a lot, a lot of experience in this domain shines through quite clearly throughout the interview. So I certainly hope that this becomes a useful interview for those of you who are looking to apply AI to your own businesses. Without further ado, this is Kevin Lee with SIF Science. So Kevin, I know that the domain of fraud, some people consider maybe to be a, a portion of InfoSec. I know for other people, it's really not considered to be that. There's a lot of new applications there. Is there a difference between where fraud detection technology, kind of like what you folks are working on at SIF Science, is being used now as opposed to where fraud detection was being applied five or 10 years back? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'd say from, let's say, an old school approach, the old school meaning like 10 or 15 years ago, specifically, mainly people were concerned about payment fraud or credit card fraud online. Now, way back in the day, you had like check fraud and wire fraud, and that's still around. But really, in the last 10, 15 years, as e-commerce has kind of 
jumped up in terms of usage. People were initially talking a lot about uh, credit card fraud and how that's a danger or, or risk to their business. Even, I think, the Census Bureau just came out with some stats on, for e-commerce, we're talking like $440 billion in 2016. By 2020, it should be around $640 billion. And so that industry still continues to grow heavily, especially in the mobile space. But really, when it comes to fraud and abuse, 10, 15 years ago, that was the main thing. That's what people were concerned about. But really, it's become a bit more, one, pervasive, where it's not just about a credit card that's the issue. It's about identities or even the way that people interact online. Before, it used to be, oh, I want to buy a laptop. I'm just going to go to a website go through the guest checkout, and I'm done. But now, literally, people are moving more and more of their psyches online. So social media, Instagram, Facebook, Snap, like all this stuff, dating, like people find their future spouses online. And so literally more and more of their personality is being put up into the web. And as a result, I mean, there's applications for it, there's bad applications for it. And really what's become a hotter topic lately has been around account takeover, identity thefts. So I'd say you look at companies even like Yahoo. I think they agreed to be sold to Verizon for like $4.8 billion. But then these the hacking stuff came out. And news. I think even yesterday, I think Verizon, Yahoo agreed to be purchased for $250 million less because of this the hacking stuff. And so it's becoming more and more pervasive on that front. Uh, and even prior, now it's, it used to be like, if I'm going to order a laptop or a computer, that's kind of one particular type of transaction. But now the internet marketplaces to come up. So marketplace, even like Airbnb. Hmm, um, so where okay. you have yeah, buyer, yeah. seller. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or like eBay as well, I guess would be a marketplace, Kevin. Yeah. And so originally eBay was essentially a, a, well, a master merchant, but then they, of course, they enabled plenty of people to sell stuff in their garage. And now that introduced a whole new variable where before, if you were a merchant, you obviously have confidence in yourself. Like, of course, I'm going to deliver these items that I'm selling. Uh, But now you get into a scenario where the buyer could be bad, the merchant could be bad, or both could be bad. And so it becomes more complex to figure out how, like, who's bad? Like, what's the story? What is going on in this space? And so as a result, it's become much, much more difficult to kind of decipher who's good and who's not. And this, this I guess, gets us into our next question, Kevin, is, is sort of where is the shift in focus given all the new factors at play? As you had mentioned, you know, e-commerce 15 years ago, uh, never mind, 10 years ago, different ball game. Certainly going to be a different ball game even three years from now, five years from now. We have marketplaces, we have mobile transactions, we have one-click payments, we have a lot of new sort of technology-enabled ways to transact and mediums through which to transact. Where is the focus now shifting in order to detect fraud through all these new mediums? What, what has to be done differently sort of given the, the status of, of the transaction world today? Sure. So... Several years ago, let's say five to 10 years ago, the main way fraud was perpetrated online is really by creating a fake account, maybe use a stolen card, a credit card, and kind of make your transaction. And that was the main issue. 
now what's happening, partly in the, because of the data breaches that are occurring, another reason is around people are just moving more of their identities online, that account takeover is becoming the next thing. And so for better or for worse, companies like Fifth Science or other kind of vendors out there have done a pretty good job of spotting and killing fake accounts. And so as a result, the fraudsters and spammers out there, they're running a business as well. And so, hey, if they're not getting their return on investment by creating these fake accounts, they need to go elsewhere and figure out, okay, how can I still run my sustainable business? And the next step is around compromising identities and accounts where before, let's say you go on the dark web, you can download like tens of thousands of credit cards and you get some sort of bang for your buck. But uh, now we're seeing much more targeted specific hacking where let's say you have a Gmail account or a eBay or PayPal account. And if those credentials are compromised, you can, do, you can have access not only to, let's say, a credit card or a bank account, but you have access to someone's messages or pictures or music or a whole bunch of other stuff. And so the instances may be less, but the damage per incident is significantly more. So much so that, like, I mean, I, I use Gmail, for example. Like, how much would I pay? I'd pay a significant amount of money to keep it safe, to say, like, okay, would I pay, like, $1,000 so I never have to worry about my email, photos, my contacts, any of that stuff getting compromised? I probably would. Now that varies per company, but that's the world that we're moving into where data breaches and identity theft is happening more and more. Got it. So let me see if I'm kind of encapsulating this properly, Kevin. That is an interesting point. Obviously, an apt point. Anybody tuned in is is well aware of how much more of themselves uh, is digitally represented across whatever various and sundry platforms in whatever various and sundry mediums. What I guess you're getting at is the shotgun approach of, you know, download a bunch of kind of stolen card info and just try kind of whacking them as many times as you can to you know, buy things or buy prepaid credit cards or whatever you're going to do with that stolen credit card information. I know there's kind of its its own sort of maelstrom of options, I suppose, once you have those. Now what you're getting at is that if people can get access to a single person's account and all the various rich information that comes along with it, they maybe have a lot of different options to tap into bank accounts or try to get money from Facebook friends or hop into credit cards or there's there's sort of maybe more of a connected web of vulnerable stuff per person is this what you're getting at exactly the essentially the playground has basically increased and the variables that can be exploited have also increased and the stakes essentially are much higher where if i as a credit card holder see a fraudulent charge for 100 bucks yeah it's kind of a pain in the butt to get that money back but most likely i have that money back yeah, the amount of time I spend on that is minimal. Let's, I mean, maybe it's like 10 minutes or something that I have to like dispute a particular charge. Credit card, their UIs and their websites are pretty good about like filing that stuff. So it's much, much easier. But if my Facebook account is compromised and someone deletes my photos or they spam all my friends to buy some like fake Ray-Bans or something like that, that's embarrassing frankly and that I lose trust in the system and if i lose trust in facebook that means i'm probably going to engage less on the platform and if i do that maybe my friends 
don't see me as much, so they engage less. And so there's this whole ripple effect that can happen because of this abuse. So it's not just a credit card $100 transaction anymore. There's more players that can be impacted. And the sting or the amount of time and resources that it takes to fix is much more substantive. And uh, just out of curiosity, do we consider that sort of the fraud space? I know info security has different boundaries depending on who you're talking to. Fraud, I imagine, has different boundaries depending on who you're talking to. Hacking into a Facebook account to spam for fake Ray-Bans, which is a a great example. Uh, We may have all seen that once or twice. Would that be considered fraud in, in the same regard? Like, would we be using a similar kind of technology that we would for, you know, transaction fraud that we would for, you know, Facebook use or password hacking or something along those lines? Do we put those in the same bucket here? Mm-hmm. Oh, we do. It, it can vary per company a bit, but really, FOSEC, there's, I'd say, like two main buckets. There's the data security side of it in terms of if you are accepting credit cards, are they anonymized? Are they hashed? Are they essentially encrypted end-to-end from a security standpoint. And then there's the info security in terms of uh, kind of blending with risk and abuse. That can imply payment abuse. We actually work with a lot of customers that have, they don't have payment abuse because their product doesn't offer it, but they deal with content abuse or promotion abuse or let's say bullying and harassment where people are spamming their network of just like a bunch of spam, like low quality content. And as a result, that's actually hurting their brand and user engagement is dropping as a result. And so I'd say they are bucketed together. I'd say as an industry, typically when people think of risk, it's payment risk, but that's actually moving more into trust and safety. So I think even um, Airbnb, I think payments risk team, but they also have a physical security team as well. Same goes for like Uber or Lyft. Trust and safety and and risk, it goes beyond just financial. Now we're getting physical space, community abuse, and content abuse. Yeah, because there's there's certainly a financial impact on that. It's not as measurable in that moment, but like you said, if someone hacks your Facebook account, you know, Facebook is not like, oh, well, that's just a drop in the bucket, right? Facebook considers that to be a pretty big deal because you let enough of that happen, and now all of a sudden – does everybody really feel like they want to stick around on Facebook if this is going to be a regular occurrence? Same thing with, you know, if Airbnb, if someone, you know, God forbid, gets gets hurt or Uber or something like this, we have an occasional rare story every now and again, you know, that that's really not great for them just kind of in an adoption sense. So there is really a physical risk. So maybe kind of fraud now, you know, we're not just talking about, you know, 20 years ago, a credit card transaction goes through. I mean, now this is, there's entire businesses built around these sort of digital marketplace type models. Fraud now, it sounds like extends to fake content. I imagine for you, I'm going to try to paint pictures for the audience, Kevin. One thing I like to try to do is is try to put color on examples and you'll do a better job than me. I'm just going to try to tee one up. Might be like a Yelp with someone doing fake reviews or might be someone like a some kind of a blogging service with some really spammy, scraped together rehashed articles that are going all over the place. Maybe both of those examples would be seen as possibly we could use the word fraudulent content, which clearly will have at a certain scale, a negative financial impact on the company almost without a doubt. Is that, am I putting the right color on this in terms of what other elements of fraud might be? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. It's a little bit, can be more difficult to measure. So for example, in the payment space, you have a chargeback, you have some sort of ground truth, but 
when it comes to that effect, really that can be made by a company in terms of lifetime value. And so I know what for medium size, even uh, larger size businesses as well, where you have the data points, engage, user engagement. I've seen studies where if one particular group gets exposed to more, let's say just bad content or a negative experience, they're going to engage less on the platform. And ultimately that means less clicks on ads or less conversions, however a company wants to measure that. But there's definitely a significant impact there. And so I think we are getting into a world where it's a little bit harder to measure and it can vary by company, but that's where the measurement is going now because it is more inclusive of other types of abuse. And I guess companies now are more aware of those other kinds of abuse and the potential financial implications of those those other kinds of abuse. And I guess this all fits into, in some way, shape, or form, if I'm detecting a fraudulent charge, if I'm detecting an unusual eBay customer profile in some way, shape, or form, if I'm detecting some unusual review behaviors on Yelp, whether this is a marketplace and its content, whether it's engagement on a marketplace, whether it's a transaction, just a straight up e-commerce transaction. These are all examples in some way, shape or form of, I guess, what we could call anomaly detection in some way. Companies like yours, certainly you know, the big payment processors, have some understanding of what normalcy looks like for a customer X55567. And they have a sense for when he's not doing something right uh, or she is not doing something right. Same thing with maybe Yelp. You know, they, they know how quickly you go from one review to another. They have an idea of how many words it is on average, given how many stars it is. They have mm-hmm. certain fraud signals about not having a profile picture and other things like this that make you a little bit less trustworthy and maybe more likely to get flagged. Pardon me if I'm mistaken, would, would these all be sort of in some way, shape or form examples of anomaly detection? Definitely. And that's where really where machine learning comes in, where there are like a human analyst or a human reviewer can only look at a handful of signals at a time and make a determination. But when there is enough data out there, that's really when machine learning comes into play and is able, able to crunch literally thousands of signals and look at probabilities of abuse like or probabilities of fraud. And that's really where the industry, I'd say, is going from a machine learning front. I'd say three, five years ago, it was about rule creation. So like, oh, I'm getting orders from, I'm getting bad orders from Vietnam. I'm just going to like write a rule to fly, kill all these orders from there. And that's really not sufficient anymore. Reason being, it's too easy for fraudsters and scammers to identify that trend and just change their proxies or move move somewhere else. And in the end, you as a merchant are just declining good orders from Vietnam and you're you're not able to move into that space. And it's most likely your competitors are in that space as well and they're not they're like rejecting a ton of orders from Vietnam. That's a huge opportunity for you as a merchant if you are able to thoughtfully and statistically look through those high risk transactions and parse out high from low. That's an untapped area where if you're the on the cutting edge of that from a machine learning standpoint, you're going to open up a lot of revenue for your company that other competitors are too, frankly, afraid to get into because they don't want to lose a ton of money. Yeah, and, and that's the, the recurring message from so many of the info security folks that we've had on, you know, larger companies and, you know, startup companies is 
kind of the similar notion that just rules are just horrendously outdated and really not going to cut it. And that being able to sort of calibrate across patterns and get a, a much more thorough, deep understanding around what constitutes risk now, which might be different than what constituted risk two months ago uh, or even yesterday, potentially, um, is, yeah. is a very, very, very big deal. And that, that actually fed into my very last question. Kevin, you would have an idea around this. You guys have raised a lot of funds at SIP Science. And I noticed that InfoSecurity is sort of right up there with the big domains where dollars are getting pumped into artificial intelligence. I mean, we have, you know, healthcare to some extent, you know, we have marketing, uh, but InfoSecurity is like, you know, two or three on like the industries receiving the, the most dollars for, for artificial intelligence in terms of venture investing, as far as my research has led. It seems as though this is likely, you know, we just talked about it a second ago, all these examples from content on a platform, from interaction with a technology app or a platform, from actual dollars changing hands, whether it's a platform or a store, all of these fake accounts, all of these are anomaly detection problems. And that is sort of cut and dry what machine learning is good at. It seems like maybe that's what's facilitating such a strong drive. I guess that and also the strong business ROI of protecting your data. What else do you think might be contributing to the fact that info security and fraud are as popular as they are in terms of investment dollars today? It's actually quite, I'd say, refreshing to hear that because it has been uh, certainly the last year or two a much, certainly a growing in terms of investment. Typically when you talk with folks in the kind of trust and safety or abuse space, they're always the teams that are kind of shoved to the side or in the corner, minimal reasons. People don't want to talk about it as much. But essentially in this day and age, like I said earlier, where consumers and just people in general are moving more and more of their lives online, the stakes are much higher. And there's really a good way to make money. It's opportunity for fraudsters out there, opportunity for like legitimate business folks out there. And with hacking in the news, that's shown basically there's a, a spotlight that's coming on to InfoSec and, and fraud. And I think it's a good thing because people are now paying more attention to it. And I'd say in the past, from a consumer standpoint, let's say I would talk to product managers or um, engineers and kind of give them some education around like, if you're going to build this product, you may want to build some feedback mechanism or check for this type of abuse. Those conversations used to be a lot more difficult the sense of like, no, 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 we just want to grow. We don't want to have any checks, low friction, let's just go. And now, I'd say across the board, uh, those conversations are happening actually more proactively, uh, to be frank, from the product managers where like, okay, we don't want our system and our product to be abused. What are the things that we need to do to protect ourselves from that? Literally 86% of those companies expect to see the same, if not fraud in 2017. And so that being said, and also from a, a budgeting standpoint, they either invest more. Ninety-one percent of folks are going to invest more or the same amount of resources, whether it's engineering operation in the abuse space. And so, I think those folks also realize in a way, and uh, it's only going to increase because, let's say, from an e-commerce space or just internet usage space, it just continues to rocket. I guess it, it seems like maybe the you know, the business world's picking on to that a little bit more now. I mean, I, I think maybe one good sign that there's enough interest in kind of a flourishing ecosystem in, a, in a, a domain is when you see 
a large number of startups coming up and you see a lot of them getting funded. And I think we're certainly seeing that with security now. My guess is that that trend will likely continue into the future. I imagine you might presume the same. Yeah, definitely so. And even, I mean, one thing that we haven't really talked about is around user experience where it is so damn easy um, in this kind of like instant gratification on demand service time to get stuff, whether it's uh, a ride or booking a hotel or booking up just a place to stay. It's so fast and so easy. And whereas before there's more human interaction, so you can do some vetting, but this pace of transactions are happening so fast that you need to make practically an instant decision on whether or not we want to proceed forward with this transaction or not. And that's actually a good thing. Like when I go to Amazon and they have one click checkout because I'm I'm a known user, that's great. From a marketing standpoint, from a growth standpoint, every company wants to provide the best experience possible, especially for their VIP customers. Uh, on the flip side, and this is where machine learning comes in and where really risk and upselling are this basically two sides of the same coin where you want to provide less friction for your best users. You want to provide more friction for your worst users. And through machine learning and automation, like you can do that. Like A human won't be able to make the decisions fast enough, but a machine certainly can't. Yeah, that's that's actually an interesting spin to put on it and maybe an interesting sort of morsel to think about for the companies who are tuned in that uh, one of the benefits of sort of nailing security and fraud is that if you do know what the real signals are, you don't have to run everybody and their mother through a 20-point checklist maze before they can pay you or before they can do something on your platform and you can make those interactions more seamless. I think if I had to do twice as I, I go, I'm Airbnb like 100% of the time. I don't I don't really do hotels, and it's not just because I think Airbnb is cool. It's because it's it's better like 90 plus percent of the time. But if there were three times more steps, I probably wouldn't do it. So my guess is they sort of know what it would look like if I was fake. They know what it looks like if my credit card was fake. And so long as the checks seem to be in line, they just let me roll right through, pay them right up and book that house or that, that room or whatever it might be. And I guess your point, which again, I think is worth chewing on for the folks at home, is that if you do want to have those kind of seamless interactions, you'll really have to crack what the patterns of legit fraud are so that you can make it smooth for the people that just want to pay you and they don't pose any darn risk. Um, and that's, that's sort of worth thinking about for sure. Kevin, I know we're right up on time. I sincerely appreciate your insights and bringing some of your knowledge from SIF Science to the podcast today. Thanks again for being here with us. Of course. Thank you. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. And thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.